0: Welcome to the He Shoots, He Draws podcast, the show about photography and design, with your hosts, Glyn Dewis and Dave Clayton. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the He Shoots, He Draws podcast with myself, Glyn Dewis, and my co-host, Dave Clayton. Now, I'm actually flying solo again this week because for this episode, I have an interview for you with Jeff Howard, a World War II veteran of D-Day and Dunkirk, to name just a few. Jeff was a pre-war territorial army soldier who enlisted merely for something to do in the evenings, but subsequently fought throughout the entirety of Second World War. Jeff is a diehard, which is a historic name given to the men of the famous Middlesex Regiment. Following the Reichswald Battle in March 1945, Jeff was awarded the Military Medal for Bravery and was subsequently awarded the ribbon by none other than Field Marshal Sir Bernard Montgomery. Now, time spent with Jeff was a real treat, making me feel incredibly welcome. Sitting with him as he recounted stories, at times with a really cheeky sense of humour, I had this overwhelming feeling of respect. But this is always the case when I have the honour of photographing people such as Jeff. Now, you're going to hear some incredible stories told with such humility. One in particular when Jeff was shot at twice by a German soldier. And how that story unfolds is a true testament to the wonderful, kind human being he is. So without further delay, here's Jeff Howard, M.M.
1: Well, I joined the Territorial Army in November 1937. So when Hitler invaded Poland on the 1st of September 1939, we were mobilised and uh, I went to a barracks in Aldershot for three months. Then in uh, January 1940, we went across to France, stationed at, near Lille, at a place called Gondicourt, and when the Germans invaded the Low Countries on the 10th of May 1940 we moved into Belgium first met the Germans near Louvain and from then on kept having to fall back until we got, took up positions 10, ten miles from Le Pen which was near Dunkirk on the Commines Canal to stop the Germans getting across. I think we were there for about five days or so. On the last night, uh, we were being relieved by French troops, and making a bit of noise, and the Germans must have heard, I think. They sent a fighting patrol across, got amongst us, and in the confusion, I was shot by one of my own men. At least he said it was a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> shot me in the shoulder right. and uh, anyway uh, after that we uh, handed over to the French walked back to our trucks drove them to near this La Le Pan, left them there with the engines running and the uh, all the uh, rubber tubes cut and run the, run the trucks over the machine guns to destroy them mm. then walked into La Pan and uh which was all on fire and when we got there walked into the water it was dark still and when it got light there were no boats because shortly after the Luftwaffe had come over and that uh, caused a lot of problem so we were sitting duck standing there like a whole battalion in the water so we decided that each machine gun crew would make his own way, try to make his own way into Dunkirk and get back. Well I walked uh, with my machine gun crew in charge was uh, my good friend Frank Dolin, who was a corporal and we got a couple of miles up the beach and we see the, saw this boat that was lying on its side on the sand because the tide went out a long way appeared to be people getting on it and it was a coaster and uh, so we got on it and went down the hold, and uh must have been carrying coal dust. Because every time a bomb or shell landed, up came all this coal dust. We were looking like the black and white menstrual. <laughs> and uh, I was so tired I fell asleep, and next thing I knew, someone shot me. said, wake up, we're coming into Folkestone." Of course I got shot in the shoulder, and I torn my battle dress jacket down to get at it, and it was a bit blood-stained and dirty and that. And of course all these ladies from the WVS and that were waiting on the quayside at Folkestone treating us like heroes and we just lost lost the, the war. Cups of tea and buns and that and of course so wanted to grab one of the, these heroes and of course they wanted to grab the wounded hero, me. They, I was in more danger from those WVS ladies than any Germans. They was all trying to get hold of me. Um, Meanwhile, the rest of my gun crew had, of course, been on the same boat. laughed I said, Don't laugh, get rescue me. So they got hold of me and threw me in a ca- old slam door carriage of a uh, southern railway train. And that's how I got away from Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> Quick sharp, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> now, you said, I, I understand you've got some quite light, light hearted stories you can tell us as well.
1: Yes, uh um
0: keep it clean, Jeff. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh you don't to really tell you get about my second wound.
0: <laughs> I can always edit it. So
1: <laughs> with nineteen forty three and after the fighting had finished in North Africa, I went on the invasion of Sicily and uh I was only there about a couple of weeks when I was walking up towards the slopes of Mount Etna. I jumped over this trench and this German sitting in it shot me with his Luger in a rather personal place. <laughs> so a bit painful. So the stretcher bearer came up and I said to him, his note, we called him Nobby, little Jewish boy is one of the best, and I said to him this can't be right Nobby. I'm a 23-year-old virgin. I've had my wedding tackle shot off. So he said, let's have a look. So I said, is it all there? He said, well, some of it is, but I don't think you're going to be using it for a long while. And he said, how am I going to band to bind that up? <laughs> so that's how I got wounded uh, the second time. But to uh, shoved me on a Dakota, flew me to uh, Tunis, and I was on a hospital train for five days, ended up in a place called Constantine in Algeria and uh, hospital there, then uh, I was discharged, I went to a camp at Algiers and when I got meanwhile I'd fetched up the, the Highland Division back for the Normandy landings Montgomery was a divisional, had been a divisional commander in the desert or d- originally, not in the desert uh, he wanted all the odds and sods who had been wounded and been sick and that fenced back to England to reinforce the HD for the landings and so that's uh, how I got back to England in January 1944 at about six months and then of course we landed on the afternoon of D-Day and from there on
0: Have you always talked about what happened during the war or is it something that you for a long time kept it quiet as so many people have
1: didn't didn't talk about it uh, i mean when i used to meet other veterans you know none of them talked much about it Mm. because i thought you were sort of showing off you know
0: right and so now now that you do you do talk about things some of it some of it you'll talk about Mm. does that has that Mm. made a difference to you Mm. does it feel does it
1: feel mm. better to do that? or mm. uh, to, to Tell us something I'm quite pleased about. It was, uh, in, in February '45, and we were in Germany then, uh, a the place called the fold, which is a forest. And, uh, our machine gun... I was a sergeant then, and our machine guns were, you know, sighted along the edge of this forest, looking out, and, uh, Just down the forest was my original platoon, uh, one of my friends. So I thought I'd go and have a chat with him. I'd take my webbing off, which included my weapon, which was a Webley revolver, because I thought I could see him. So I had a chat and his dinner came up. So I said, well, I'll let you eat the dinner, Alf, his name was, so... uh, started to walk back and in between me and where my gun was was a fire break on to my surprise walking up this firebreak was a fully armed German and I had nothing but he looked to I mean I was about 25 I suppose he was a, looked to me 40 or 50 you know old man to me and uh, he was trudging along with his rifle on his shoulder looking at the ground and I I thought he was a bit, what they call, bomb happy, you know, chill shot. So I shouted out, "Elf there's a German coming up. So he said, well, leave him alone. So I said, Alf, I'm not breaking it up. I said, there's a German coming. He said, well, why don't you let me eat my dinner? So uh, I had to do something. So I waited till this ger- old German got right close. And I st- jumped out, and I said, come to here. Hand rock, the hand up so he looked at me, quite slowly, calmly took his rifle off his shoulder, this is true, put one up the spout, took home, I thought this is getting dangerous like, you know. So I, t- I had to start stand sideways between a tree, because they weren't wide enough, and he took a shot at me, he, of course missed, then he took another shot at me, missed again. And he decided he'd had enough, so he put his rifle on his shoulder and started to walk away. So, of course, some of my boys had been roused, roused by the shots going off, and the first one who reached me was an Irish, Riley his name was. And when he got excited, he used to stutter. And I said, you'd have to shoot him, Riley, you know, because he, if he shot one of my own blokes, I'd never forgive myself. So, Riley wouldn't shoot anyone in the back because this German had lost all interest in us by now. So, he was trying to tell him to hold. Ha, ha 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 ha! I said he'll be back in bloody Berlin. <laughs> so, I took his den gun, but it was a single shot, and he shot this German in the fleshy part of his leg. So, because uh, he fell over, we went up and uh, I had to search him, so he pulled his rifle away. And they got these breast pockets in their uniform. Went to undo one and he said, nine, 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 and, you know. So I thought, oh, he's got something in there, he don't want me to see. And when I got, opened it, it, was a picture of a lady and a child. So I said, that's his dying frau and kinder, you know, he is your wife and child. And he said, yeah, and so I said, John, that means very nice, like, and uh, put it back for him but then a the stretcher's bearer come so I had to help carry him about a quarter mile back to the first aid place where we all had a cup of tea, all of us the last thing I helped shove him in a, an ambulance I said well at least you'll get home, albeit with a limp but it's more on what we can say, you know I was quite pleased I'd never, you know, I had to stop him but I just shot him in the leg.
0: I bet, I bet he couldn't believe his look did actually?
1: Well, I don't think he knew what was happening. Mm. Mm.
0: Now, what's this I've been asked to ask you about? A bank job? Is that. It, yes, oh. Okay.
1: After we crossed the Rhine on the 23rd of March in 1945, and after about a fortnight, three weeks, heavy fighting on the far bank to us, you know, uh, the Germans started retreating. Well, we got to a train uh, a town called Quackenburg and uh, had, hadn't been too badly knocked about, and the bank was still there, and it looked uh, more or less in one piece. And we looked through, through the window, and standing at the back was this safe. So we thought, well, put a few bob in our pockets when, <laughs> if we get home. So we decided to open it with a pier, you know, projectile infantry anti tank. And uh, so uh, we're just about to fire it when uh, up came our Sergeant Major. He said, what are you up to? I said, we're going to open open that safe, see if there's anything in it. He said, I'm in on this. So he he, uh, got hold of this pit and lay down in the same room. I said, what are you doing? I said, he said, I'm going to open that safe. I said, you'll kill your bloody self. I said, firing it with a blast in the room. So... uh, got outside and put it through the window and he had to stand on a box, a wooden box he found. So we fired it. Our Sergeant Major disappeared up the road in a cloud of smoke, dislocated his shoulder. And when we opened, it, opened the safe, all there was in it was some charred paper and some melted metal. It owned out Oh <laughs> so, well. <laughs> yeah, so that was that. Tell you one thing, just after we'd landed in Normandy, and, of course, in no man's land was this farmhouse. And when the Germans withdrew, we had to go and have a look at it because it had been a, a nuisance to us. And we got in there, and, of course, it was this Calvados, which we hadn't tasted. And uh, it like, looks like water, at least this did. And it has a delayed effect, so we were drinking it by the mugful. And we had a, a, a new officer... And he'd been back to get his orders, and when he came, and he found us all lying paralytic round the guns, which was serious. And he went back to get our, our Major ready to line a firing squad up, like. and he said to uh, our Major, who'd already, who'd already run the military cross and was going to win a second one, and it was one of the best. He said, what are I going to do with them? So our Major said... When it gets cold, so find their blankets and cover them up. And then, if they if they left that in any of that us, put it in my jeep.
0: <laughs> Not the reaction he expected, no, <laughs>
1: no. Of course, he told himself afterwards, the old wager, yeah. like, and know, but yeah, what yeah, was yeah. his name, Jeff? Um, Pearson is passed away some while ago, he won the military cross in the chateau, Chateau Saint Com in Normandy and won a second, uh, but it's because in the same action I got the MM in February 1945. Really nice fellow.
0: Now I'd like to say a huge thank you not only to Jeff for allowing me to come along, sit with him and take his portrait, talking of which I cannot now wait to deliver the print, but also to Beverly Cooper for arranging it all and for all the incredible support she's given me as I work on this project. Also to Doreen, and then there's John, who's Jeff's son, and Jenny. And also to Neil Barber, Jeff's nephew. who's an author and whose knowledge on World War II is incredible. He too was there when I was photographing Jeff, so it was great to meet him and to be given a book about Jeff's life called Fighting Hitler from Dunkirk to D-Day, the story of diehard Jeff Howard M.M., written by Neil and signed to me by both him and Jeff. And this is something I will treasure forever. Now, on that note, I'd highly recommend checking out the books Neil has written and are published, so we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes to the page on Amazon where you can find those. The book I can't put down at the moment is his book titled The Pegasus and Orn Bridges, Their Capture, Defence and Relief on D-Day. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.